Hey there, film buds. This is normally the part of the show where I just kind of have a a little casual audio outtake of sorts as a soft open. I know that Henry liked music. I don't feel like, to be completely frank, I don't feel like fucking around with music. I hate editing. I hate audio. So that's, as a little behind-the-scenes note for you, part of the, the stylistic change of Henry being at the helm of film buds to me. Today, though, I didn't want to do my usual little bit. I decided to try and make something a little bit meatier out of it and something maybe a little bit more useful to you. So first things first, I want to address something that was brought to my attention by a listener, um, which was the fact that I have not extolled the virtues of my incredible co-host while Henry has been away, Lauren. Uh, I often just refer to her as my wife, and there's nothing technically wrong with that, but it also doesn't do her any favors. Um, and it it is a disservice to the incredible skills that she has. Um, so for a little bit of background, since Henry once upon a time gave background to who I was, I thought that I should maybe go, and if I haven't really delved deep into the background of, of where my wife comes from and why I chose her to be on the show and, and talk film with me, uh, I thought that it would be important to go in and, and sort of fill in that context, because this is one of the most important topics in the world to me, and I didn't, <laughs> I didn't just let her on, you know, because she is my wife. It is 100% because I also love talking to Phil about her and think that she has very incredible insight. And that all comes from her background and who she is. So Lauren Thompson Davis is a lifelong uh, music performer and stage performer. She has been in theater and music since she was, you know, in, in church as a kid. And then eventually she moved into a magnet's, uh, a magnet performing arts school. That's the high school that she and I jointly attended, but it was also a middle school, Northwest School of the Arts in Charlotte, North Carolina. We actually are, if I'm not mistaken, the first high school to put on the color purple. Don't quote me on that. So, she went there, she went to Northwest starting in middle school, and she also continued on into high school. She was a, a singer, she was in musical theater, she actually had a lead in one of the performances uh, while we were there, wedding singer. And she also performed in community theater in the North Carolina area. And then following that, she actually went on to a conservatory style program at a Virginia university and she studied musical theater and she had to do technical theater work and she had to do costuming and she had to learn theater production at every level. Following college, she then relocated to New York. She worked for a while, saved up, relocated to New York and she tried the acting thing and she was in 
a few performances and a part of a traveling group for a little while and auditioned for several Broadway and nationally traveling shows, nationally touring shows. So she is certainly not here just because. She is a very incredibly talented, wonderful, thoughtful person who perpetually gives me new insights and is constantly giving me different perspectives and and brings all of herself into a discussion on film and all of her background. And she's incredibly, incredibly thoughtful. Um, and furthermore, I think that it's useful to have on a certain level of performer perspective, right? I come at from a, and Henry come from more of a, a background role, whereas she was supposed to be out there in front of the light saying the words, right? So I think that it's important to sometimes have varied perspectives, not even just from, you know, the obvious things, you know, male, female, gender neutral, Christian, Hindu, Taoist, uh, but also writer, director, costumer, performer, and maybe even having non-film backgrounds. I think all these things are important in, in the discourse, right? Especially since film is such an amalgam art. And I realized that I had done her a very, a very big disservice. And I'm she doesn't know I'm I'm saying all these nice things about her right now. Um so hopefully she'll she'll get to sit down and, and hear this and it'll be a nice surprise for her. But it was a real disservice to her and it was a disservice to you. And I truly didn't mean anything by it, but it was definitely a little bit of a faux pas of mine. So I apologize to y'all. I apologize to her. Um, and now we'll get on with the show. Hey there, Film Buds. Welcome back to the Film Buds podcast. I am your host, Paul, and I am joined by very much more than just my wife, Lauren. Hi. So uh, we're actually still waiting on one of our hosts for today, one of our guests for today, friend of the show, Nick. He should be joining us soon, but he's a busy man with a little baby at home. So things happen. Uh, but we figured that we would go ahead and kind of get started, dive into the show a little bit. We're doing another Hispanic Heritage episode uh, for those who weren't aware a month ago, we started Hispanic Heritage Month with Hispanic Heritage, September 15th. And we did that with two films. We did Frida. Mm -hmm. And we did Under the Same Moon. Oh, beautiful. And both of them were specifically from the Hispanic uh, community. They were both Mexican films from Mexican um, you know, perspectives. Although Julie Tamer is not a Mexican filmmaker. But they they highlighted that culture. And so a month later, I was kind of coming up with what I wanted to do for this month. And I said, well, you know, one of the things that I closed out on was next month is, is Halloween. Try and find some Hispanic horror. And so I did. <laughs> and it's, again, Mexican-centric. Um, 
And that was partially also because I wanted it to kind of feel more like a connected part to the last episode that we did. Mm -hmm. So today we have for y'all Guillermo del Toro's Kronos from 1993. And we have Isa Lopez's Tigers Are Not Afraid, or in Spanish, Vuelven, which is from 2017. And they're both kind of very interesting, non-standard films, but I thought that they would both be kind of exciting for us to listen to. Mm -hmm. Um, But before we jump too deep in, I thought that, and I'm sorry, I've monologued so much, I've barely heard from Lauren. (laughs) I don't know who she's, who who you're here for. Um, But... If you don't mind listening to me a little longer, I thought that I would go and give y'all a little history, frame frame some of this narrative that we're having for you. Because we all have a general idea on American film and, and television history, even if it's probably far more shallow than I realize for the average person. But what you definitely don't know is Mexican film history. (laughs) Yeah. So I decided that I would go and do a little dive. And I went to good old David Cook's textbook. I've referenced that book so much. But I went to it. And I decided that I would go and give you all a little crash course before we get too deep into this on Mexican film history. Specifically, only from the 20th century. I was like, should I go back further? But then that's a whole can of worms. So I'm really just going to focus kind of on like the last hundred years. That's okay with y'all. So around the 1940s, um, Mexican cinema starts to get government funded. Now that might sound a little bit odd, but once upon a time, governments funded a lot of different film projects. Actually, your state government probably technically does fund through tax incentives and other programs some filmmaking so mexico decided to get into the federal filmmaking business super super common uh german cinema used to have a very strong governmental body and during the 40s they end up doing very well and they go And by 1945, Mexico was making 80 to 90 films a year. And that doesn't sound like a lot, but it is especially for 1940. By um, the 50s, we're now essentially into the thick of Mexican cinema renaissance, right? Things are moving well. People are making a lot of movies. And amongst those films, you're getting some really great meaty dramas and things like that but then you're also getting what crowd pleaser films which were locally referred to as churros Mm -hmm. sweet but empty of calories you know they were meant to just entertain you and one of the popular genres of the 50s and 60s is the ranch comedy kind of like a cowboy comedy By 63 to the late 60s, there's been some sort of government hits on 
the film industry, but also at this point, the first film school has shown up. And so from 63 sort of onward, you end up getting some independent cinema that is often uh, government critical. And, you know, this is also kind of at the same time that, that people are criticizing governments, honestly, kind of globally, mm -hmm. right? People, people in the 60s, especially the late 60s in an American context, are getting tired of the Vietnam War, Korea's over. So this is kind of in step with a global zeitgeist. From about the, the 70s, uh, early 70s to the late 70s, um, government policy actually starts to encourage social criticism in film and also tries to go in and, and start to kind of build back some of what had fallen off a little bit in the 60s, right? So like the 40s, 50s, golden age, 60s, bit of a come down. So the 70s tries to correct that and they try to be like, no, be socially aware, you know, spend and, and, and go and spend money in ways to improve what you can do production-wise. But ultimately, it isn't really enough. By the late 70s, a new administration comes in and he hands the national cinema apparatus to his sister, and she immediately starts to privatize the film industry again and she starts to gut some of its funding, and it ends up having a lot of calamitous effects. Uh, furthermore, a whole bunch of people, once it left the government sector, decided that they were done with filmmaking overall, and so a whole bunch of the craftsmen that had been coming up dipped. Mm. Then the real big disaster strikes in 1982, when, not unlike uh, the loss of the, the library at Alexandria, the main Mexican film archive burns down. Really? Yeah. And loads of film is just lost. And, and not even some of it, some of it probably wasn't even just Mexican. But also we probably don't have an, a really accurate grasp on what all was lost because the records of what was in there were probably <laughs> lost. So, eighty-two is a fucking shit show. Um, and then they have a financial downturn. So by eighty-three, a new government institute is created. They try to help step in, and oh, here we go, Nicholas. Hey, man. Okay, hello. Hold on. Let me get rid of that background. <laughs> can you guys hear me? Yeah. Can you hear us? Okay. Yeah, yeah, just check. It's okay. Um I'll I'll pick up where I was though. Um, because I was actually you you kind of came right just in time. I was talking about uh the Mexican film industry. I mean, as one does. Uh and so I was going through and we had just hit the point in Mexican film history where in 1982, the National Mexican Film Archive had a fire. Yeah, I'm actually, I'm aware of that. Yeah, uh, and so then 83, a new government institution is created. 
from 83 to 88, there's a little bit of a boom because some money is pumped back in. Um, but by the, the time you hit 91 to 92, movie production in Mexico actually completely fucking flatlined. And that's actually why a whole bunch of people started to go to outside financial sourcing, which is partially what led directly into Kronos. And why Kronos was able to get funding. Good lead-in. Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> have, you already, have you already started this episode? I just did a little bit of, a, of a Mexican film history background, that's all. Yeah. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah. Okay. How have you been, man? Dude, I'm exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how, how's the kid? I'm so tired. He's great. He's the best. You've uh, been hard at work doing... Uh, you were telling me when we went to the Alice Cooper concert, this is a busy time of year for you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, because yeah. you do the, the yeah. weekly shutter horror guides and that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah, well, I do. I do a weekly streaming guide. It's it's mostly horror, um, just by that. That's what's out there, folks. <laughs> um, but uh, no, I, I do the weekly streaming guide, and now in addition to that, um, for October, I'm doing like a, a a top ten list of of whatever. Um, so like the first one I did was because uh, the new VHS movie came out, so I did a, like the my top like favorite uh, short films from all of those movies. And am I being loud enough or? No, yeah, you're fine. Okay. <laughs> uh, and this week uh, just came out today. I did a, uh, my favorite uh, Blumhouse. Uh, oh, okay. Um, and next, next week, I don't know if I finish the um, marathoning Halloween, just like you guys are. Um, so if I finish that in time, who knows? It's a lot of movies. Um, yeah, it is. <laughs> it's too many, but it's like it's like <laughs> 11 or 13, like it's somewhere in that ballpark. I think it's 13 with I... a new one coming out. Mm-hmm. Yes, or I, I think it's 12. I don't know because <laughs> there's there's the six it's one of the three, it's 11, 12, or 13. Mm-hmm. There's the six original. The Rob Zombie remakes, you know what? It's 10, because it's the six original, the two Rob Zombie remakes. Oh, no, it is 12. I forgot about the H20 uh-huh. and uh, H20. Resurrection. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so it's it's 12. We're coming up on 12, but Halloween ends. We'll make it 13. Yeah, so what, 2022? We figured it out. <laughs> You know, I just needed more fingers. It's uh, if you want, we're doing a, a slasher episode, and so if you manage to get through a good chunk of them, you can come on and and be a part of the discussion on Halloween. Oh, let's do it, dude! I've seen too many slashers. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we've got Sky coming on to talk Scream. We'll have you come on to talk Halloween. Mad might be on also at that point to talk Halloween. So sweet, sweet. yeah, let's do it. Time. Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's not let the people waiting any longer. Uh, are you ready to jump on into it, man? They're they're chomping at the bit. Let's do it. I know. <laughs> Who doesn't want to hear some people talk about films that are mostly in the Spanish language? <laughs> so our first one is 1993's Chronos, directed by Guillermo del Toro. And as always, we have a clip 
So take a listen. Por favor, por favor, por favor. Con todo cuidado por mi alma, por favor. So, that was Kronos by Guillermo del Toro, written and directed by Guillermo. Uh, as I said, it comes out in 93, and it stars uh, Federico Lupi, Ron Perlman, Claudio Brook, Margarita Isabel, and Tamara Zanath. I think that's how you say it. It's with an X. Um, and the... Like, the main synopsis that you actually get is, like, an alchemist from the 1500s <laughs> creates a device that grants the yeah. user immortality. And that's Dude, it. I was, <laughs> I, was, I was so thrown off by that because that's the one, that's the one like, on IMDb or something. Or, 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 like, on the HBO Max page or something like that. But... But yeah, that's what I read, and I was like, because I didn't know anything. And I was like, okay, well, here we go. And um, and not, uh, <laughs> I mean, that's how it starts, like the first well, like yeah, thirty seconds. Away, keep going. <laughs> <laughs> no, so Chronos is about this um old man who works like in an antique store, basically, and he um someone someone like leaves someone like comes in and leaves this thing and it has this it has the alchemist thing i think he just found it like i think that it was just like one of the, the various things, things yeah. that he had who the heck was the guy then that like came in he was looking for it he was like i think like a, a junkie uh so oh, I see. so random aside i think that the reason that he's a little like itchy is because of the theme of addiction in the movie and so i think it was like oh, you know, was like an addict coming in i think he's like ridding himself of it then. oh you think you know, so? maybe maybe like he's the one that had it last and he comes in and it's like okay. away with it well i was thinking he was going to get like the tip money like he ran around and then told ron perlman so that way he could get you know like Oh, I see. He, he's like the start of the chain there. I see. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Look at that. I already, I didn't pay good. I already, I'm in trouble. I didn't pay good enough attention right off the bat. Oh, I'm no, good. you're fine. You're fine. You're fine. <laughs> you're fine, my man. Um, anyway, no, yeah, anyway, so, so he finds he, this device. if he finds this thing and it, um, it, it goes in him like a needle, you know, mm -hmm. subtle. <laughs> and, and, uh, you know, it, it, it turns it turns out this is a vampire movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no warning. To put she, it simply. She actually guessed the vampire thing just before I did. Who doesn't uh, we're, love we're surprise sitting, vampires? We're sitting there watching it and suddenly she's like, wait a minute. Is this vampires? And I'm like, honestly, at this rate, 
I don't fucking know. <laughs> there was a moment like right wanna... before he licks the blood off of the floor, and I was like, oh. It's, it's really, <laughs> is that not the defining moment of the movie right there, though? Yeah, that is. The, 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 there's, the there's, a, there's a scene in the film where he just is lapping up a puddle of uh, nosebleed blood off the bathroom yeah. floor. Yeah. Um, and it and it goes on for a good little bit, and it's mm-hmm. wonderful. <laughs> it's so good. Well, my, my favorite <laughs> it, it, it was the point in the movie where I was like, this is fantastic. <laughs> yeah. My, my favorite bit apart from that, like, even before he went down to, like, the, the full sort of, like, debased, I'm going to lick it <laughs> off the floor, was the, the yeah. very careful, I got to scoop it. I got to, like, rake... And oh, he was doing it like a line blood. of coke there. Yeah, Again, very, 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 very subtle. Mm-hmm. Very subtle. He was scooping up the blood like he was about to snort it up. Yeah. Um, so the the movie was absolutely nuts. I like you didn't know much about it. You know, I knew that this was his first movie, but like that was pretty much all I had. I, I it wasn't yeah. until we were just about to start it that I realized that his first movie had Ron Perlman. It, I, I, I didn't know I didn't know a single thing you got that text from me the other day because I had just looked up like I was like well what I'm, just, I'm like I'm sure there's like a billion movies called Kronos yeah. <laughs> you know, like what in the world um, and I only saw the year so I asked if it was the 1993 one you said yeah and then you know I looked it up and I was like oh this is uh, Guillermo del Toro it's like oh and it's his very first movie Um, yeah I mean what a this dude came out swinging Took no prisoners right off the bat. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and I was looking into it. Um, he actually, his background was in visual effects makeup. He spent mm-hmm. the '80s working as a makeup artist, and he even had like his own visual effects makeup company called like Necropia. I think is what it was called. Okay. And then he did some short films, and then he did some TV shows. And then he landed this as his first film, partially because he had to go again outside of the country to find funding for it. But I think part of that funding agreement is also then why he ended up then going and doing Mimic four years later, which was his first big like English language film. Here, here's a fun thing here with this and and the last in the last episode uh, I was on is that we're doing the Hispanic Heritage Month stuff and. I'm the Hispanic, but I, you're the one explaining all of the <laughs> history of like, not even just like the individual filmmakers of the movies we're talking about, but like, of like the, the film industry of like their respective countries. And I'm over here like, I have no clue. I don't know. What <laughs> <the movies. laughs> well, I, I, you movie, know me, I'm, movie I'm a was research <laughs> <laughs> I gotta know. I need the picture. <laughs> I do too. I know. I do the, the the Wikipedia dive as everyone does. Yeah, mm-hmm. it really it um, de- depends on the movie. If if I'm really about it, you know, I like to look up, try to find some interviews or some essays on it. Well, honestly, I really liked this movie, and I wanted to know more about it and where he came from with it. This but movie on Wikipedia, kicks ass. I mean, I need to I need to say it again. <laughs> no, I know Wikipedia is pretty blank on it, but. Um, sorry to interrupt. Sorry to no, sort of fine. train of thought again. I want to reiterate again, this is a really, really good movie. It's one of those movies that 
I've been watching such a crap lately, which is funny. Yeah. That's not true. I've seen plenty of good movies, but I don't know. Um, I feel like I was in a dry spell because I just watch stuff all the time. Mm-hmm. But um, this is a movie that's like in the first 15 minutes, I was like, I'm really enjoying this. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. Right, I'm really enjoying this. I feel like we can only go up from here. <laughs> yeah. Instantly, I'll say this. Um, do I think the movie is necessarily as like good as some other Guillermo things? Maybe not. But I was so drawn in with Jose Greece or uh, Jesus Greece as a character, like instantaneously. Mm-hmm. I was like, who is this old man? I love it. Like that actor was just so charismatic that I was like, I enjoy him. I, I enjoy the family. I understand the dynamic. They've gotten older. Their marriage has gotten a little bit drier, you know? It just, I mean, it comes down to the writing, dude. Good writing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, mm-hmm. a, it's a vampire movie. Um, once again, we're like, that's not really the focus. A, it's like different because it's like like a scarab looking ancient device that turns them into a vampire and they like constantly need it. And, you know, it's treated like like a drug. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, you know, it's more about, uh, like you were saying, like the family dynamic and how it changes as uh, as he starts going through his changes. Yeah. And honestly, it's not one of those vampire stories where like the vampirism is 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 the end all be all thing you know you're you're hitting the best part of your life because he starts to do this like decline almost within this this addiction to to mm-hmm. the, the scarab giving him internal life and all of this you know he the, the, the other fun the part in peely bit him turning into like the nosferatu ish vampire where he's just very pale at the end looks my man looks <laughs> awful in the third <laughs> <laughs> he like has like a really good peak. Like the it starts to give him like make him feel good. He's like, yeah, I feel great. My shave my mustache. Great. Yeah, you know. I'm he 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 looks I'm like my wife. <laughs> the third act when he's all messed up, it looks like uh, it, it looks like stage makeup. That mm-hmm. you know, it, it, it's like the last show of mm-hmm. like a, a tour. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> It's really like thick in some parts too. You can tell that like it's a huge layer on top of him. Mm-hmm. Oh, I know he was hot. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Um, well, and you know the whole thing also has like a discussion on appearance, and and I think on a certain level there is some yeah. some discussion vaguely on vanity, even if it isn't very deep, because he immediately enjoys how much younger he it makes him look and ron perlman is you know very obsessed with his nose um and so there is on a certain level a little bit ron perlman is fantastic oh let's talk about ron (laughs) the youngest ron perlman i've ever seen before love it here's what's also really cool about this about this movie with this being guillermo's like first is that a it already immediately has like his sense of humor Mm-hmm. isn't it it's like a, it's a dark story um as always you know it's still it's, it's got like the dark fantasy vibe just like he always you know it's like he's known for um and again like for vampire tale it, it's really steeped in like uh like a deep like mythology like a, mm. a like a ancient history kind of thing very uh 
very mystical stuff. We were briefly listening to while I was trying to find, I was trying to help you find a clip for Kornos, mm-hmm. um, where it's the, the director's commentary over it. And he was talking about how he really wanted it to be very steeped in, in this alchemy that was the basis yeah. of it. Mm-hmm. And he, he tried really hard to make it very, very apparent that that was where like all of the, the I guess the, the science fiction came from was, was from the, the, the study of alchemy. Instead yeah. of it being, I guess, you know, something like just vampirism. Yeah. <laughs> just yeah. vampires doing vampire stuff, you know. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's a it's a it's a really um different approach to it. Um and, and also again, but this being his first film, he's already doing like the the child mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. as a prominent character. Um, who's always like, I don't know, has there ever been like an evil child in his movies? I don't think he ever has like a I don't think kid. he's ever like the, done the evil child. <laughs> children are, are a very pure. The children thing. are always pure, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and like very much the case here. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. Like, there are rare times where you go all the way back to a filmmaker's first film and go, man, you had who you are as an artist pretty much like pegged locked up you maybe did it better (laughs) over time but like you figured it out you go back to bottle rocket wes anderson's first film and it is tangentially a wes anderson film it's not until rushmore that you're like oh that's a wes anderson movie right but this man had it (laughs) he knew what he wanted yeah dude he doesn't play man he doesn't it's an isolated person story yeah yeah and he doesn't you don't miss dude (laughs) <laughs> what's what's the worst Guillermo movie for you? If if he didn't miss, let me ask this then. What's the worst Guillermo movie? I don't know. That's a bad question. <laughs> All right. What's your least the, favorite? The then? the data. I, I don't know. The the data is really rotten to me. The rotten to me. The lowest rated is uh like Blade Three. Okay. Well, he didn't so direct maybe... that. That was um David Goyer. Word. Hmm. Uh, he and Wesley Snipes did not get along no, 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 in the filming no. of Blade 3. Oh, no, no, sorry. Blade 2. Oh, okay. Blade 2 is his, yeah. Blade 2 is probably his, yeah. I guess, worst critically reviewed movie. Man, I, I, don't, I don't know. I haven't, I haven't seen all of his movies. I guess if I, I really seen, like... I haven't seen Mimic or Devil's Backbone or, um, or the second Hellboy. You haven't seen the second Hellboy? It's actually really good. I like the I like the second one in some ways more than the first. And actually, the second one has my favorite Seth MacFarlane performance. I have, that's specific. <laughs> I guess you'll have to watch it to find out what I mean by that. Favorite <laughs> Seth MacFarlane performance. What a Followed by Ted. Yeah. Happy Hispanic heritage. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about. Seth MacFarlane. About um, Seth MacFarlane. But no, yeah, I like Hellboy 2 a lot. I, I think my least favorite would maybe be Crimson Peak, and that's just because it's not even really because of anything that he did wrong. It's just, it's not that kind of gothic tale has never been one that really caught me. Sure. It's like a more of a personal taste. Yeah, and that's really all that that one is. I guess like, I guess. Never mind. It's gonna say like aspects of Pacific Rim, maybe, but that movie just whips ass. That movie's so good. <laughs> <laughs> Shit slaps, man. <laughs> movie's so good. 
it's a certain generation's Independence Day, and I will not be talked off that off that point. <laughs> <laughs> That's not quite the same. My man Idris gives as good of a performance, as good of a speech as Bill Pullman. No, for sure, for sure. I don't know if it's, it's not quite the same kind of deal. No, it doesn't hit a same audience the same way. But I think that there are Independence people that Day I think love that first Pacific Rim. Independence Day is so American. <laughs> yeah. Pacific Rim is not. No. But that's Guillermo. Like, even when he did Hellboy, there was nothing about it that necessarily was like it's not defiantly American. American. Yeah. Oh, you know. <laughs> and that's the best part of those movies, honestly. Well, and and that was another thing that I noticed about this movie and a lot of other Guillermo movies, um, and also the time in which he grew up, authority figures of an institution are oftentimes seen as as the antagonist, as, as something that is to be overcome, or they are bumbling and incompetent and annoying. Um, and I was looking at that and he's born in 64. And so, like, the movies that Guillermo grew up watching, especially the movies that were made in Mexico, were more of the independently funded ones, were more of the governmentally critical ones, were more of the socially conscious ones. And so I think that definitely some of that is is highly present in a lot of his films because a lot of his characters are the people that subvert the norms. Sure, man. A, I have nothing to add there. Yes. <laughs> yes. He has such an interesting style. Um, it's so beautiful to to watch how he he turns um, such a such a dark kind of worldview and and makes it into something beautiful and romantic and and sad and. It does really pull on like those the best kinds of of a of a gothic narrative, and he just has a, a beautiful way of looking at the world that that is unlike anyone really else. He's just he's got a very good heart. He's got a very good heart. That one. <laughs> he's an amazing storyteller as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's pretty much everything that I have on Kronos. Um, Nick, do you have anything you want to add? Chronos Rocks. Watch it. It's on HBO Max. It is. Or yeah. available, available to rent or buy anywhere else, I'm sure. And it's on the Criterion Collection. Bada bing, bada boom. Um, so, Nick, if you had to give Chronos a score, what you giving it? I don't know, like four and a half out of five. <laughs> okay. Great okay. teeth. Pretty damn good, folks. Honestly, yeah, that's where I was living too. Yeah, four and a half. Almost yeah, I'll go perfect. four and a, I'll go four and a half as well. Um, even it's fo- even the the places where it falters or, or foibles, I don't think are anywhere near honestly worthy of bringing it down. No, the rest is too good. It always depends. You know, like is how much does the good outweigh the how much does the stuff that really works outweigh the stuff that doesn't work or vice versa? Yeah. Yeah, the stuff that absolutely. works here is just is just too good. Yeah, and it's it's just so interesting. It's such a different look into something that we consider so um, so ordinary. You know, we've seen hundreds of 
of vampire stuff just all around and this is nothing like anything i've seen yeah yeah um it's about it's about a lot of things yeah yeah. things going on there (laughs) um no i think that that was poster (laughs) there's a lot of things going on (laughs) put that on the blu-ray quote me Mm -hmm. on that there's a lot of things going on in Chronos. <laughs> Put it right on the front. <laughs> Big quotes. Uh-huh. Um, no, I think that was really good. Um, well, if, if we're all ready, then I think we'll move on to our next film. Uh, stop having fun. <laughs> <laughs> Let's, get Let's get serious. Uh, Let's get serious. Actually, I will say one more thing before we pivot. I decided to go and come up with two movies that I thought you could watch that I think have a certain tonal or thematic texture similar. So the first one is obviously James Whale's Frankenstein. Just because it's like the quintessential monster movie and bullshit if Guillermo isn't influenced by that film in particular. Just at every level. Everybody. Everybody. Um, Whether they know it or not. Oh yeah is a movie that some people don't know called Bigger Than Life. Are you familiar with this one? Come, No clue. Um, it's a really interesting film that uh, Jean-Luc Godard, if you're into French film, uh, called one of the 10 best English language films ever made. And it's about a guy who gets on cortisol for his hypertension. And his cortisol usage drives him insane and threatens to ruin his home life. And so I thought that there was some interesting kind of, you know, this guy who was just a normal guy starts to take a drug that sends him into the path of mania. And actually, it's a film, it's one of the few films that is shot in an ultra-wide format, a Super 70 format that isn't a big historical epic like Ben-Hur or something like that. It's all shot in suburban, you know, domicile. Christopher Nolan who? (laughs) Step aside. Those are, last and little note on on Kronos was I thought those were two little films that you would enjoy as as sort of um, cinematic pairs. Those are are good uh, accompaniments. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I even have some for our next film. Uh, so Tigers Are Not Afraid is what we're going to do next. And as always, we have a clip. So take a listen. Había una vez un príncipe que quería ser tigre. Los tigres no tienen miedo. So that was Tigers Are Not Afraid, also known as, well, then, which means um, come back. Um, And it is directed and written by Issa Lopez, and it stars Paula Laura, Juan Ramon Lopez, Neri Arredondo, Hansel Cosillas, Rodrigo Cortez, 
Giannis Guerrero, and Tanuk Huerta. Thank you. I practiced. Um, and <laughs> <laughs> the premise is, I forgot to pull up the premise. This is a this is a synopsis that actually is pretty it's pretty straightforward. It's like yes, yeah. that is that is indeed what it's about. <laughs> a dark fairy tale about a gang of five children trying to survive the horrific violence of cartels and the ghosts created every day by the drug war. Yeah, yeah that is very spot, spot on. on. Good job, uh, yep. good job, PR person or whoever wrote that. <laughs> That's correct. Um, Nick, you you kind of took us uh, took us away on the last one. Um, would you like to start us off again on this one, or no? You you just watched it. You watched it more recently than I have. I did. So I, it's, I, it's more we fresh. We just watched it today. Yeah, it's more um, fresh in your mind. One. <laughs> all right. I'll, I, that's do a, you want me. It's or? a good way to start the. Like a great way to start the day. <laughs> No, I literally started it at like 10.30 in the morning. Like it was... Yeah, coffee in hand. We were like, all right, let's watch this movie. <laughs> Bleak. <laughs> um, there's a movie. There's a... Before we... Sorry, before we start. There, there's a movie that just came out called uh, Mass. And I watched it at uh, Sundance. And it's a very, very good drama um, of two sets of parents meeting in a room and like the aftermath of a school shooting. Mm. Or uh, school shooting is some time past, but they're um, anyway. Uh, entire movie takes place just there in the one room with them talking. So good, <laughs> so so good. Uh, devastating. I watched it also at like <laughs> nine, ten in the morning or yeah. whatever. <laughs> at an unreasonable time to watch something so dramatically hefty. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. To hold that weight the rest of the day. Um, yeah. well, so, so what did you guys think of Tigers Are Not Afraid this morning at your early morning showing? So we started watching it and I was very intrigued. And the deeper into it we got, I suddenly started having this very, like very early on, essentially, like the moment that the child made the first wish, I was like, I think this is going to be something that I think about for the next few days. <laughs> I was like, I'm pretty sure that this is going to be heavy on my mind. If you've got a well-functioning brain, it should stick with you for a little bit. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. I, I, I pretty much haven't stopped thinking about it since this morning, like on some level, like I'll have an, a tangential thought that takes me somewhere else. And then I usually so far today have come back around to, that fucking movie. <laughs> it's good movie. So good. So <laughs> good. Oh, heartbreaking. Yeah. Beautiful. Oh, yeah. My we're currently in Virginia right now, and my mother-in-law came up like right when the movie was like at its end point. Like it had just ended oh, pretty much. And yeah. I was like, Brilliant I can't time. I was like, I can't I don't just see be, like weeping. <laughs> on the couch right now my mother-in-law will have a lot of questions <laughs> you can't be like well let's go get lunch <laughs> yeah paul are you okay i'm fine <laughs> just everything's great just trauma on children 
it was just so beautiful. Mm -hmm. So yeah, this is a. It's interesting because this certainly has a good, you know, it has elements. It has obvious elements of horror, Mm -hmm. um, especially as it especially as it goes on. Um, but I think to me, it's much more of like a kind of fantasy drama and even maybe not, you know, all again, like fantasy elements, but it walks that line where you could decipher it or interpret it as like, oh, this was all the more fantastical stuff is all in, this, in the children's imagination because it's mm-hmm. the film is told entirely from the perspective of the children. Mm-hmm. Um, so these are all like mostly orphaned children uh living in yeah like a an area of of mexico that's pretty much ruined uh by conflict and gang and drug wars and everything Mm -hmm. um and basically it's really just about you know there's like a goal that i guess i won't spoil it's not um you can see when you watch it as far as the plot goes unless you want to get into the plot more since it's more fresh for you but we can we can definitely touch on that a little bit more, but it's um, it, it, it it's 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 a nice like juxtaposition from usual like child fantasy like adventure movie because it's like adventure, but it's so somber mm-hmm. just because just because you know just as like an audience member you know mm-hmm. of of the of the setting and everything, and it's something that doesn't shy away from a child death. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh! No. As well. Um, not not in like a gratuitous. This isn't like some like stupid it's gratuitous. Like yeah, yeah. Kill the kid. It's all bloody and <laughs> all that. You know. This is no, tasteful child. This is tasteful child murder. How dare you? Um, no, but um, yeah. It's like like you said, Lauren. Uh, heartbreaking movie. Uh, heartbreaking, yeah. very moving. Mm-hmm. Um, still, as always, like all good movies like that. Um. It's got that hope. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting, also. Like the hope kind of like grows as, as alongside, like as it gets more horrifying. The, yeah, the kind of like glimmer, spark of hope, kind of also at the same time is able to grow. It's a weird, like I said, it's a really interesting balancing act and a blend of different genres that she does here. Yeah. yeah. Uh, no. Damn good movie. Oh, it so um, it reminded me on a certain level very much of almost um, a King's story in the way of how much of the magical realism that you're looking at is is real. You know, how relatable, yeah. how reliable are our narrators? Um, because they, to your point, they are children. Um, and it was really interesting. I didn't mean to do this but it was very interesting to me when i looked back at it after i chose both films that by sheer happenstance both of the second films were these let's use a child perspective as our grounding point to explain a circumstance a world narrative and sure. it, it certainly yeah. wasn't intentional, but suddenly I looked back and I was like, oh, wow, yeah, I did kind of like double dip right into, you know, this use of children to explain the hardship of cartel violence as it affects the people who live with it. I, I, I think those are always, that's obviously like an incredibly difficult 
thing to do when you're telling the story from the perspective of children and movies that are able to do it, you know, like tragedies from the perspective of children, um, I should clarify. Mm-hmm. Or like historical tragedies, stuff like that. Um, when it's done well, it's, I mean, obviously, they're <laughs> still getting, <laughs> if it's done well, that story is just incredibly affecting. Um, yeah. Like I'm reminded of a Beast of No Nation. Yeah. Um, which is a crazy movie. <laughs> um, if you haven't watched that, it's on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Go watch it's about, that. Um, child soldiers. Yeah. And yes. I was, Wonderful. I was one out of the <laughs> Hi. Oh, sorry. Yes. Sorry, Lauren. Uh, Beast of No Nation is is about uh, child soldiers. Yep. Happy. Cool. Not cool, but I understand. Cool. <laughs> um, um, also, just like a, a brilliant use of like. Again, the child's perspective, um, and done in a way that doesn't shy away from the more intense and heavy, like obvious aspects of of whatever mm-hmm. the setting is or the story is. Um, but again, I guess just yeah, I don't know. I'm a, yeah, I can't come to a conclusion here. <laughs> Both of them are. In a way that doesn't feel like so, like ex, ex, uh, exploitational. No, yeah. Or you, like, or melodramatic. Yeah, it's grounded. It's never too big. It's never too small in its moments, in its emotionality. It's very, very grounded, and that's also why the fantastical elements are totally fine to introduce because at no point does it feel excessive overblown even in the performance and these are incredible child actors mm-hmm. yeah um but it's more interesting when you said like they didn't have any prior acting experience yeah before yeah, this yeah, movie yeah. Um, wild wow. no but they were just living very authentically like you could see it they were just living very authentically in these parts and um I think it's like, I think the, whole, it's like the whole package, man. Yeah. Um, everything in Tigers Are Not Afraid just works. Yeah. Um, no, it, I it, it all comes together. There's nothing really left hanging that you're like, oh, I don't feel like that was like fleshed out enough or, or whatever. And both you know? of them are more horror, and I would say an almost Victorian sense where it's not about a jump scare. It's about creating an atmosphere and about having your horror not the thing that isn't scary isn't the boogeyman, right? The thing that's scary in both of these films is something deeper, more adult, more nuanced. And the horror is really standing, the the horror elements are as a stand-in for reality at a certain level. Yeah. And that's what makes Man. both of these films fire so hot. That's why it's the best genre, my dude. It's how we talk about the serious stuff. <laughs> and it's cathartic. And yeah. Even though this movie I'm not sure actually ends happy, it is mm-hmm. cathartic in its own way. Um as yeah. a as a little bit of a spoiler discussion, I do have a very serious question. Yes. I think I have an answer. 
is the girl dead at the end? Uh, no, I don't think so. You don't think so? Like the main girl? Yeah. No, I don't think so. Interesting. I almost read a certain, and maybe it's just like something that I read into it. I almost read a certain ambiguity. You're that she's. You're that like they're all dead. <laughs> yeah, a little bit like, because like for me it was almost a, um, into a peaceful, like, so quickly fantastical an ending, and maybe it was just meant to be a visual metaphor of her freedom when she stepped out on the other side. That she was now mm. a big cat roaming through a free plane. She's now. She's she's the apex. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe that is kind of more of what it was hinting at. But on a certain level, I also kind of stopped and I was like, I don't know. Maybe it's heaven. I think it could be, you know, anything's up for interpretation, I guess, unless the filmmakers directly like, no, fuck you. <laughs> it's, it's yeah, about I this. guess. <laughs> and even even then, even then for, for some people, it doesn't matter. They're like, nah, I mean, it's no. Too late. But honestly, Too late. I think if she lives, I think I, that, that ending still works for me. But if she dies, I think that it also still works for me. I'm not upset yeah. with either option. It is definitely uh, like I, very I, ambiguous, I would say. I, I go for the she lives because, like I said, I, I to me there's like a an undercurrent of hope throughout the movie mm -hmm. still, as like as bleak as it, it seems. I think that that's um, where it, um, coming from like a child's perspective, you know, I love watching these kids still find ways to entertain themselves and be and happy fun and, and be children. Well, it's just, harsh just what kids do. Yeah. Yeah. What kids and, do. and I think that if this, if this movie had been centered in just like an adult perspective, the entire time we would lose a lot of that whimsy and that hope and that, that will to just have fun in, in yeah. the sheer heaviness of the topic. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, as a, you know, as adults, we we have a hard time just like you know letting go. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. Good um, no, like I, I can't recommend it enough. It's for me, it's very much like, like the experience that I had with Under the Same Moon. Like, I'm gonna keep thinking about this movie. I'm still thinking about Under the Same Moon. Mm -hmm. That's because it's about children. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I'm no, sucker I, I, just, for it. I was so touched by it. Um, and it was so impactful. And for me, the two films that I kind of saw on a certain level, a kind of textual similarity, one was Stand By Me. Um, mm. And the other one was Slumdog Millionaire. Mm. This kind of weird you know how convenient almost that all of your questions did line up you know that almost like a slight sure. sus suspension of belief for the fantasy of the narrative's sake yeah, yeah the, the, that that heightened reality yeah absolutely um but no yeah. i absolutely adored this i was i was pretty stricken by it and it's very pretty yeah. it's also a very pretty movie yeah, it's like I said, it fires on all fronts, dude. It's no notes. <laughs> well, um, the director green of this light. film uh, liked our tweet that we were recording tonight. And 
you told me that literally right in the middle of me trying to research her. <laughs> and so suddenly I was like, oh no, oh no, I have to make sure that I get it right. So I did do, I was already in the process of doing some research on her. So I do have some, some background on Isa Lopez, if you would like. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So she was born in 71. Um, where Guillermo was born in Guadalajara, she was born in Mexico City. Mm. And she attended the, uh, the National University of Mexico. Uh, and she actually began as an archaeology student, but transitioned into directing and screenwriting. And she obtained her BA in 95. She spent some years, you know, working, writing, um, and being a lecturer as well. Uh, and from 97 to 2000, she was a professor uh, for writing studies at the center, or at the, uh, the center of writing studies for um, Televisa, which was the master's mm -hmm. program that she was essentially in. Uh, in 2003, she goes and she does a film called Ladies' Night that ends up being one of the highest grossing films of 2003, 2004, and 2005 in Mexico. Wow. And from there, she ends up going on and doing several U.S. studio-backed films. Four films only released to a Hispanic audience, essentially. Um, yeah. they're so small that like you literally can't find Wikipedia pages for some of these films. Mm -hmm. Um, but it was through that, that she was eventually able to then go on and, uh, create Tigers Are Not Afraid, which was the ninth script that she had written in full, ninth feature length mm -hmm. script. Um, so there's a little bit of background on our director absolutely tremendous and ever since then she's now blown up um noah hawley who does fargo is now working with her on another project um there's another guillermo is yeah guillermo is working with her on a new project so like since this film she's absolutely blown up and honestly i can't wait for more like truthfully if, oh, if yeah. this is where we started give me more <laughs> yeah i'm ready let's yeah. go yeah she's not playing yet you, you, you got a new fan. No, yeah. So. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I really can't recommend this enough. It's on Shudder. It is a Shudder exclusive. I think it is also on AMC Plus as well, if you have that. Um, if anyone has that? Only. I have only AMC Plus. Do you? <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember what I got it for. You know, it's funny. I actually just found out that I have it. I, I don't I must have gotten it for something and just never <laughs> I yeah I I went to um I, I went to look up uh Halloween on Amazon watched Halloween 2 Yeah I uh, I watched the first Halloween and, and Halloween 2 Okay and and they were there, but only with AMC Plus. And they were like, it's available with your AMC Plus. And I'm like, why, <laughs> like, why do I have AMC Plus? <laughs> Who did this? Who's responsible? I guess me. <laughs> Good job, but, me. 
but I mean, it's, I mean, it was fine. I was like, well, Hey, that's what I need to watch. So I was about to make a joke. <laughs> the only people that have it are the Dolan family, but now you've ruined the joke. <laughs> uh, I know. I heard you. Well, them and now Nick. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's the Dolan and the Delgadillo family. That's it's me too, really man. Cool. <laughs> the two AMC plus subscribers. I'm getting mm-hmm. my money's worth. I watched and Halloween so were too. the Dolan family. Um, <laughs> So, Nick, if you had to give Tigers Are Not Afraid a, a score, I have a, a funny feeling on what you're going to give it. I think we're all going to give it the oh, same thing. Oh, it's perfecto. Uh-huh, there it is. Yeah, five out of five. <laughs> all, it's all perfect. Long, five out of five. Mm, that's a damn good movie. It's so yeah, bueno. nice to see good movies. It's so nice. I know. It, it, was, it was really great to watch. These are, again, very good choices here. Yeah, it's, it's nice. Thanks. It's nice to not watch bad bad stuff. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> um, for in, for instance, I watched Halloween two the other night. Such a slow you know, some movie. people literally put that as their second favorite Halloween movie. I think that that's where you it know, stopped. That's why they were like, "I did one, I did two. Those well, are my two. Again, I I haven't I have I've not seen the vast 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 majority of these movies. But watching Halloween too, I, I think people like it if they're just because it just follows immediately from the first one and yeah, just attempts to recreate it. It's, it's like a classic uh, sequel move there, sequel to a movie that wasn't originally intended to have a sequel. Yeah. So it's like, well, even though John Carpenter this. hates that, movie. let's just let's just do the same thing again, except not as good. Different director, different this, different that. Um, this director comes back later for another one. Nice. Rick Rosenthal I, does. Too. I think he is fine. That, that's not to like say like he's like shit. Yeah, no, he's I think fine. He does, I think it is pretty fine. He does station stuff. I don't know. It's it's so limited. Halloween two is just it is the most straightforward. Halloween one is the most straightforward. Like there's this guy and he's gonna kill people and we're gonna we're gonna watch it. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the movie. He's he's gonna kill some people. He's after this person in particular, and then they'll he'll try to kill them at the very end. But he's going to kill all these other people first, and that's the movie. And I assume that's the movie throughout all the decades here. And I, apparently, that's still the movie, which is exciting. Um, well, to be frank, <laughs> um, actually, some of the sequels. I don't want to tip the hand too. Oh, much. never mind. Uh, oh, they veer off into. Well, no, they don't get weird. I'm excited. Stuff, they get I'm weird. excited. <laughs> is Buster Rhymes in one? Yeah. Did you watch the Buster Rhymes movie? We watched, we watched it last, last night. night. Oh, that's exciting. That's exciting. We, we I've seen like a movie uh, that was I've very like depressing. A five second, I've seen like a five second clip of like Michael Myers with Buster. I don't know his character's name, but Buster Rhymes. He the movie, and honestly, I don't know his name either. And we just watched the movie. It's just Buster. He, he's Buster Rhymes. It's fine. It's great. Um, <laughs> anyway, okay. Well, I'm glad that's not just the same thing over and over. But We've gone off topic here. Halloween. <laughs> well, I mean, we kind of we kind of wrapped things up, so it's okay. <laughs> Halloween two is mostly boring. It's not the worst. It's fine, I guess. Yeah. Um, well, there's you... some there's some crazy stuff like when I talked to you about the kid just getting absolutely horrifically murdered. And nobody yeah. cares. Yeah. Really. In Halloween two, yeah. <laughs> That's not even, it's not even Michael Myers that does it. And honestly, it's the Dr. Loomis. It's the kid yeah. killed because he scares him into the road and he gets hit by a car and then blows up. And, the car and, and then, and then just burns like, alive. 
Yeah, they're like, well, next that time sucks. it'll be Michael. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then they just Doctor, You know what's really funny is that you see like reading reading about these movies, like, oh, um, and I know he comes back again later, but just from these first two films, um, I forget. Uh, sorry to disrespect this Donald actor here, Donald Pleasance. Uh, he he's to me the, this character is hilarious. Doctor Doctor Loomis is hilarious in these first two movies. The scenes with him and like the sheriff are so funny because he's just like saying insane things. It's like he's not human. He's you know he's, he's, he's got the devil's eyes. And like the cop has no idea what the heck what the hell he's talking about the whole time. No, he's, he's, like, he's so poetic. He has he has, he has no <laughs> clue what he's talking here. about. And and he's just he's just driving this old man around. No proof of like anything, even like to like the very end. Mm-hmm. No, like, yeah, I don't the know sheriff what the is driving him around. About. He's like, for twenty years I stared into the eyes of you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, like what the fuck are you talking about? The, the sheriff's yeah, not man, even like fully. Con- he's not even like fully convinced that like Michael Miles is like there in the town doing anything, yeah. you know. Um, and, and and then he shows up at the very end, and like, like an expert marksman, this psych child psychiatrist, is yeah. like like headshots immediately, like as he's like holding Laurie, mm-hmm. and then like just unloads into him. Oh yeah, whole whole thing, like six rounds right in the chest. Oh, that's it, because he he says it like ten times in Halloween too. Like I sh- I fired a six round, I shot him six. Yeah. Times. I shot him six times. <laughs> I <laughs> again, so again, it's like everybody that like is forced to just drive Dr. Loomis around because Michael stole his car right in the beginning of the first movie. It just has to listen to this old man just talk about insane things. They have no clue. They have no context. They have no idea what's going on. They're just driving they around this crazy old man. Dr. Loomis comes back a lot. <laughs> would, you, would you like a, a Donald Pleasance fun fact? Yeah, please. <laughs> he was a Nazi prisoner of war. Uh, he he was a he was no, a he Nazi was, he was a part. No, he was a prisoner of war for oh, the Nazis. He was Nazis. a prisoner of war to, to, to the Nazis. Yeah, okay. he was a Nazi Thank prisoner of Thank war. Goodness. He was a Nazi. Um, <laughs> was like, so, here's a fun fact. He was a Nazi. Okay. He was a part of the Royal Air Force, and he was shot down in 44. And then he spent, if I'm not mistaken, two years in a prison camp, uh, during which time he apparently would help put on performances for the other uh, uh, prisoners. And then he got out of that in 46, joined West End, got into acting and that kind of thing. And he did like several Carpenter films and several Halloween films. Actually, he was in Halloween films up until Halloween 6, which is when he died. And so Halloween 6 is in memoriam to Donald Pleasance. But there's a little (laughs) fun fact for you. I would love... I would love to have a series like Halloween, especially when you're all the way to Halloween 6. That's in <laughs> memoriam to me. <laughs> it's that one and like the next one, right? I, I understand. Obvious, like, obviously you have to. He's, he's like one of the, like, the three main characters of the series. But it's like Laurie and Loomis. Like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I get it. But, you know, like it's just so out of all, like after all this like horrific murder and gratuitous nudity and all that. Yeah. Um, 
well the uh you know like the scene in the hospital where she like where they get in the tub and everything um i'm sorry that woman is hot (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah no we had a whole there was a discussion about the attractiveness of the nurse that died she took her clothes off and i was like jesus that that's it's like for me that's my personal um margot robbie wolf of wall street <laughs> is 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 the nurse who's horrifically scalded killed with scalding hot water boiled alive yeah boiled alive um but before that before that she takes her clothes off and gets in a a hospital tub it's a um it's a physical rehabilitation tub and so it's meant to be better i bet it feels great i bet warm temperature i think it's even meant to be able to do cold temperature i think that's why it's metal i think that it's meant to be yeah physical yeah i think it's a physical rehab station that makes more sense i can't use context clues or anything i'm just dumb as hell you're not dumb. My father was. I'm just, over here, uh, like you know, you know, like the 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 jacuzzi they have in the hospital basement. That's fine. specifically I mean, they for sex. Employees there anyway. So and my dad used to be a pharmaceutical salesman. So, so like you know, these are the so kinds funny. of things that I heard about growing up. You know. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> yeah. Um. Well, you know, uh, when we the watched, whole the whole point the whole point was that this this woman was was she smoking. <laughs> oh yeah. Pun intended. <laughs> it's funny. It's, it's so strange the slasher genre, especially like back then, mm-hmm. where it was like, what a weird thing. No wonder everybody's like insane. Where it's well, like horny, hor- horniness with like horrific, uh, violence that everyone is like there for. You're like happy about the murdering, and you're like getting horny at the same time and then you watch them get murdered and it's like what does it mean well what are the everlasting effects for like the people that people in the 80s and the and whatnot who grew up with a lot of not great slashers we can we can this is definitely i think a, a good question for this is for the other episode i'm getting ahead of yeah. no 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 but but i i think that if I had to really point it to two things, I think that it is the a little bit of a mixture of it's the demographic, the sexual revolution kind of that was happening at the seventies, <laughs> but also reactionary to these the violence and the sexual violence that was happening with the serial killer boom of the seventies. And that's a whole thing to unpack. But um, I think that that's kind of where it conflates is like you can't talk about these people, especially for those filmmakers, without talking about the sex. So we have to show the sex to then show the sort of violent result, you know, where where these people who are by the nature of their crimes intrinsically linked to sex and sexual violence you know it's it's this very weird complicated that i think amalgam that kind of you know sort of happens at the time i'm glad i never got horrifically murdered after after either having sex or like even worse for some of these characters don't even get to get to have sex 
before they no, they it. just want it. <laughs> they don't get there. They, they want it or like they're about to attempt it and then it happens before they even get the chance. That's not cool. I mean, it's the most intimate moment is when your pants are down. Mm-hmm. Michael's a fucking weirdo. Yeah, he, by the way. he likes to stalk. Yeah. Even, even, again, even from only watching the first two movies, like what a fucking weirdo. Cut it out. <laughs> Weird ass. Just wait, just wait, man. Just wait. <laughs> These movies. I like, at the, I like at the end of the first movie, he sets like he like makes everything to like open up and for the body to like blob down and everything. That's funny. Oh, yeah, what in the world opens? What in the world opens the little door where like the woman is just dead? Like spring trap. <laughs> he he was he's, he was prepared. He set all of this up in the time it took her to like get across the Very street. Very theatrical. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, he, so good. Step, honestly. Um. All right. No, all right. yeah, I think <laughs> I, I I I think that you will notice a weird absence of his theatricality, but I think. And I haven't seen the new one. I think David Gordon Green reintroduces some of it in in Halloween 2018. Have you seen the reviews for Halloween Kills? I've seen some. I've seen everything from the ultra positive to the mixed to the not a fan. Um, the yeah. only person that I've seen so far who doesn't seem a fan is is a critic that I very much respect, Walter Cha. Um, yeah. uh, uh, I've seen... Uh, mostly for me, I get this from the people I follow, I guess, the not negative response to it. And I guess his maybe wasn't negative, but he seemed his, his, what I read of his literally just before we started recording was essentially kind of like what he said was it feels like it lacks empathy for the victims. And I don't know what that means. I'll only have to see the movie, I think, to really gauge whether or not. Yeah. Because that was actually something that we talked about with Halloween 4 is that's the first time I feel they intentionally introduce a character that I am not meant to feel bad if they die. <laughs> I see. No, yeah, um, like the moment he starts talking, you're like, and I hate you. Kill it's, him. It's where, <laughs> Do it. <laughs> it's where they just, it's again, it's the indulgent, like, you know, mm-hmm. what the audience is here for the audience. So really give yeah. the audience someone like, I can't wait for you to die. I know you're going to die. And I can't I, wait I'm for counting it. down the seconds. And I hope it's brutal. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, well, I think there were really honestly uh, two, three other things. We kind of touched on what we've been watching already kind mm-hmm. of earlier on when Nick first joined us. Um, so there were two things that I wanted to hit on beyond that. The first one was an update on the IATSE strike. Uh, the stage performers have officially said that if the American Producer Association, essentially, and the studios are unwilling to come to terms by October 18th at noon, they will be launching a full-fledged labor strike that will grind film production, television production, concert production, uh, musical shows in, on Broadway to a halt. Because this labor strike, if I haven't really made the profundity of it clear enough, extends from everything from that that dude that's labeled best boy in the credits and you have no idea what that means all the way up to costumers to makeup artists to stunt performers to drivers to ushers it is essentially everyone that is below the line talent 
and so all the way to all the way to whatever it is that the woman the anti-vax woman we met <laughs> at the Alice Cooper <laughs> show does. Yeah, that's right. At, show, at shows here. I think she was a roadie of some kind. Yeah, well, she, yeah, the Wicked thing. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. She did do, like, Fish. touring Broadway shows. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, beyond that... <laughs> um, so yeah, the, the strike is potentially going to come. It's actually also coming. The announcement of the pending strike is also just before we got an announcement of a John Deere strike. So labor strikes are kind of coming everywhere. A lot of places on strike right now. Yeah, but, you know. everybody's done with their bullshit. Mm-hmm. That's what happens. Yeah. That's what um, happens when shit sucks. <laughs> yeah, and as always, we here at the Film Buds are standing in solidarity. Um, we have been making a conscious effort to to honestly try and not indulge in new content. Like, that's not necessarily why we picked anything that we currently picked, but it's definitely helping me, I think, moving forward and informing of some of the decisions of what I'm going to talk about, at least until some of these things are resolved. Um, because just after the strike was announced, the studios, some of the studios said, we're tacking on extra production days for our crews that will bleed into when the strike might happen. So yeah. we're definitely... As, as one does. Yeah. And so we're definitely going to try and stand in solidarity as best as we can, um, because this is an important issue. And, and when in the face of a strike, studios do something like that, it's very clear where their intentions lie. Yeah. This is this is this is human rights at this moment right mm-hmm. now. We're we're talking about people who need a living wage, who need better hours, and I think that everybody listening can also say that yeah, I'm overworked and I would like more money too. Mm-hmm. So yeah, let's all let's all stand in, in solidarity with the people that make so much of what we consume. Yeah. Uh, the second thing that I wanted to bring up was we have ourselves, and then we'll be done. Uh, we have ourselves a listener question, and it's a very mm-hmm. special listener question. Hi, Paul, Lauren, and Nick. This is Henry from way back when. I really miss being on the show, but I have had a blast listening to it while I've been away. As Paul said on social media, I graduated Air Force basic training recently and am now in the seven-week special warfare physical prep course. It's going to be intense but I'm glad to be here. I have not watched a movie since I shipped out, which sucks, but there's a chance we might be able to watch some soon. My question for y'all is this. If you were away from a long time, let's say six months, a year, what would be the first thing that you would watch when you got back? I actually think I'd start at sitcoms, but perhaps for film, I would pick something funny, like The Informant, Fantastic Mr. Fox, Ed Wood, School of Rock, etc. Thanks for she- keeping the show going, players. I hope to get back on soon. H. Let's go. So, dear Nick, if you were unable to watch that's film such, for a year... That's such a hard question. Right? <laughs> 
Uh, I think I know I, exactly where I would start. I don't. I don't know. You know, for, for if what it, so the question is, if I couldn't watch anything for a year. Yeah, if you couldn't watch film for a year, let's say you were stranded on an island, you get back, you get to watch something. Where do you start? I, I need to catch up with current events first and foremost. <laughs> but I actually bar, bar, barring that, I don't know if this is just for me. I'd want to watch something like new that came out in the year that I miss. Um, yeah, there's always stuff to look forward to. There's always filmmakers I like making stuff. I, I don't know. I guess that'd be my answer. I'd want to see something that I missed that was new. That came okay, out. dear. How about you? I feel like I would probably do the exact opposite. I'd be like, all right, what is something cozy and that I that I love to watch to turn on to just like remind me of why I I like watching sure. movies. Well, you know, yeah. I, I I'm not maybe I'm not taking into account like I've been stranded on a fucking island. <laughs> <laughs> I I'd be a bit of a different person then. So yeah. I don't. That, I'm still going to stick with my answer. I'm going to be a, a weirdo. <laughs> um, so sorry to interrupt you, you, Lauren. I'm no, sorry. Go no, ahead. No, watch no, something I, mean, I can't cozy. even like, think of something specific. I have no idea. Oh, I have one exactly. Go for it. Great. <laughs> Zach and Mary make a porno. I hope no. so. That actually might not be far from my start, but I know exactly where I would start. I would... If I, for whatever reason, whether by choice, by force, what have you, could not have watched film for a, a period of time, I'd want to go back to where the love began. And, and yeah. so for me, that's Star Wars A New Hope. And, and that's oh, probably oh, where I would oh, start. Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, just, and not even the rest of them. I maybe wouldn't even do Empire, but I think that you like I would just go back to Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, go back to to feeling like the kid that stared off at Twin Sons a little bit. You know, like I would really want to go back yeah. and and reconnect there and use that as just sort of like a starting point of like, and now I'm going to reintroduce myself. Maybe I'd watch uh, the original Space Jam. Yeah, there we go. I'm talking about where the love, where the love really began. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if we're talking about where the love really began, then I feel like I could pick any one of the Disney princess movies. Oh, I thought you were going to pick the Into the Woods movie. Oh, oh, which one? The concert one. Oh, well, that's like the the actual Broadway performance. Well, I see. If you. (laughs) (laughs) It's really scary to meet someone who is like, oh, the first movie I'd watch back was like Meryl Meryl Streep. <laughs> in, into, the into first the movie woods. back was James Corden's Into the Woods. And had, it had to be, really it to had to be the, Into the Woods. You know, Johnny in his zoot suit, just looking completely out of left field. But, you know, it's my favorite. Um, no, I was thinking like something that I. At could least he keeps it to. brief. Yeah. So you saying Into the Woods? I was like, that's the same kind of vein. You know, something that I can turn on that I know all the words to that I can just, you know, mm-hmm. have a great time. The Lion King. Oh, yeah. Space Jam and the Lion King. Yeah. Um, Maybe, um, I love Digimon like, the movie. Digimon <laughs> oh, the, the Digimon movie. movie. <laughs> Guys, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Oh, I love that. Chamber of Secrets for me, baby. That was like my first DVD ever, like Chamber of Secrets. 
Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. There's like there's like four discs because it had all like the special yeah, yeah, yeah. app on it. Yeah, I mean something um, nice and, and happy and that makes you like, you know, feel good after you watch it. Yeah. I don't know if I'm gonna, you know, after a year of not watching movies, be like, all right, let me watch something that's just gonna make me sob. Shame. <laughs> <laughs> Mm-hmm. I want to watch that iceberg hit that, you know, that ship and watch those people. You know what, down. honestly, if you looked at me, though, and said... I'm going to start with Schindler's my... List. That's, that's right. <laughs> honestly, if you looked at me and said, I'm going to start with Titanic, I'd be like, no, I get it. It's cinematic. No, <laughs> yeah, like, start with Avatar. <laughs> this is Papa Dragon. I need to see Papa Dragon. <laughs> Stephen Lang. Under underutilized performer. Um, you know what, Henry? Thank you for the listener question. Yeah, it's been so long since we've had one. Yeah. Um, please, the Film Buds Podcast at gmail.com. Send in your listener questions. Next month we're doing international cinema. Send in your uh, international cinema recommendations. Um, actually, I need a specifically for my Indian listeners. I need a good Bollywood movie. So if anyone has one that is like, my dude, my man, my dude, start your Bollywood journey here. Super appreciated. Um, Nick, is there anything that you would like to give our listeners as a last thought? Um... Movies are good, and <laughs> we need more good movies. So yeah, stand with uh, the strikers. You can keep making good movies. That um, movies suck when they're made by overworked and underpaid people. I think that's, that's just right. about all the time that we have for tonight. Nick, thank you so much for coming on. I truly appreciate thank you when you come on, man. Oh um, yeah, dude. It's been a real blast. And uh, if you haven't already, follow us on Instagram, follow us on Twitter, follow Nick on Instagram and Twitter. I'll put up all of his socials and everything on this post as well. Um, This post may not actually go out as early as I normally post it, but that's not for you to worry about. You're already listening to it. Um, If you follow me, we're doing guys, And we'll talk again soon. I've been Paul. I'm Lauren. And I am Nick. There we go. And we'll talk to you guys next week. Bye. Bye.